Blue Sky. That is the Allman Brothers Band from 1972, the Alma Peach. And on the line with me now is Michael Ray Fitzgerald. Michael has a brand new book out called Jacksonville and the Roots of Southern Rock. And Michael is going to be one of the authors at Miami Book Fair online this year. Welcome to WLRN, Michael. Thank you, Michael. You wrote a book about Jacksonville. Was I didn't realize Jacksonville was such a hotbed for music. It really was. When I moved here in 1968, it was it was exploding. And uh, that was the same year that The Second Coming came to town. The Second Coming was a group from Tampa, formerly known as the Blues Messengers. They came to play a club in Jacksonville, and they became immediately became the biggest band in town. It was the cusp of the hippie movement in Jacksonville, and they were the only hippie band in town at that time, and so they completely cornered the market. And uh, Dwayne uh, Allman had heard about them and came up from, Dwayne and Greg both had heard about them and came up from Daytona Beach to sit in with them at a nightclub called The Scene. And these guys were the number one band in town, and Dickie Betts was the lead guitar player, and he was the number one guitar player probably in the whole state of Florida aside from, arguably, um, Dwayne Allman. It was the, uh, just the beginnings of the Allman Brothers band right here in Jacksonville. So that was the first time the Allman Brothers met Dickie Betts? No, it, uh, it wasn't the first time. D- Dickie had met him in a previous band somewhere in Lakeland or somewhere. They knew each other because, you know, they were competing gunfighters, you know? But... Uh, that was when they really got to know each other when Dwayne started sitting in with them at the scene. And then I saw Dwayne come in and sit in with the second coming at the Woodstock Youth Center in March of 69. And little did uh, we know that Dwayne was in town recruiting, had, Dwayne had a record deal and he was in town recruiting uh, musicians for his new band, which would become the Allman Brothers Band. Were the Allman Brothers the first band to break Jacksonville? No, uh, there were several. There were several. I mean, Ray Charles came out of Jacksonville. Of course, he didn't break from Jacksonville. He broke, He got his deal in Seattle. But uh, Ray Charles came from here. There were a lot of big names that came out of here. The Classics Four uh, were probably the, the biggest. They hit number two in 68. When did country rock become a thing? You know, that's a good question. Uh, people say Jacksonville's the birthplace of, of uh, Southern Rock, but these things really evolved slowly. Graham Parsons had a big um, role in country rock, as you know, and uh, he lived in Jacksonville for uh, three or four years, did a lot of work here. Uh, did, you know, did, did you know Graham Parsons? No, I don't, but I know people who went to school with him at Bowles. He, he was actually grew up in Waycross. Most spent most of his early years in Waycross, which is you know seventy five miles out of Jacksonville. And uh, then he attended the Bulls. Then he went back to uh, Winter Haven, where he was born for a while, and went to high school there for a couple of years. Then he came to Jacksonville to int- to attend a prep school. His parents were extremely wealthy. And he played on the radio here in Jacksonville a couple of times, and you know, did little uh, serenades around bowls, and played with a group out of South Carolina. And you know, he's largely considered one of the architects of country rock. He he um, moved to 
Boston to attend Harvard briefly, then moved to New York, and then moved to Los Angeles, where he hooked up with Chris Hillman and uh, formed the um, Flying Burrito Brothers. So he's one of the architects of country rock, but he's not the father of country rock. My, I would say the father of country rock was Larry Murray, who was also from uh, Waycross, Georgia. But all this happened in California. But, you know, country rock and southern rock are really very similar. I would say they're basically two branches off the same tree trunk. Well, who was the uh, first band from Jacksonville to to break out? I mean, I, I could mention Leonard Skinner or, or the Allman Brother Band, Marshall Tucker, Molly Hatchett. Charlie Daniels, are they all involved in Jacksonville's uh, Southern Rock scene? Not Marshall Tucker, not Charlie Daniels. They're both from the Carolinas. But, uh, yeah, uh, Leonard Skinner, Almond Brothers Band, Molly Hatchett, 38 Special, uh, Rosson and Collins Band, uh, Derek Trucks Band, they were all formed originally formed here in Jacksonville. They all, all those people are from Jacksonville. I'm speaking with Michael Ray Fitzgerald. His new book, Jacksonville and the Roots of Southern Rock, is one of the books featured at this year's Miami Book Fair. The book fair is going to be online, and you could register now online at Miami Book Fair Online. And the book fair officially starts November 15th, and and Michael's interview is going to be dropped on November 22nd, I am told. And were you involved? Are you a musician? I am. I was very, very young at the time. Uh, I was when I moved here. You know, I was like in my teens, and but I was. Uh, I did audition for a group called Sweet Rooster, that became Thirty Eight Special, and uh, I knew some of these guys. I didn't know all of them, but I knew some of these guys that I've written about, and I was in. You know, I was there when some of these events happened. I was in the audience the night um, Ronnie Van Zant announced the 1% was thinking of changing its name to Leonard Skinner, and people laughed about it. How how different was 1% from what Leonard Skinner became? It was sort of a prototype, you know, a pretty rough version. It was before they had Billy Powell on piano, before they had Ed King on lead guitar, from California on lead guitar. It was a pretty rough version of Leonard Skinner's. Let me play a song from Leonard Skinner. This is one of the more acoustic soundings, Four Walls uh, of Rayford. Were they a, w- w- was, I guess, so listening to the song, blues was a big part of Southern rock. Yes, it certainly was. And the song you're about to play is not really a Leonard Skinner song because they're the only member of Leonard Skinner who plays, who was on it, is Ronnie Van Zandt, who wrote it. And the uh, guitar player is Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special. Well, let's listen to Four Walls of Rayford. Four Walls of Rayford featuring Leonard Skinner's Ronnie Van Zant. And who else did you say that was? Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special on Go- Dobro. Was there? It sounds like then a lot of these bands were not in competition as much as they were helping each other out. That's exactly right. I mean, it was a friend, there was competition, and it, it, it egged them on. It spurred them all on. But it was a friendly competition for the most part. And anyway, 38 Special and Leonard Skinner, the leaders of both bands, were brothers, Ronnie Van Zant and Donnie Van Zant. 
when did they break out? I mean, they, they were they wrote great songs and they st- toured throughout the country. Did that happen? Why? How did that happen? Well, those guys were the underdogs on the local scene. Uh, the Second Coming was the big band in the late '60s, and uh, Leonard Skinner was sort of struggled in their shadow for a little while until they left town. And then uh, Skinner, you know, got hooked up with uh, Pat Armstrong and Alan Walden in Macon, and they struggled there for a good long time. They just sort of, they went to Muscle Shoals and they made an entire album that got turned down by every major label. They struggled for a long time and they were underdogs, and, uh, you know, they didn't really make it until a guy named Al Cooper found them at a nightclub in Atlanta in 71 or 72. I think it was 72. Yeah, yeah it was 72 or 73. That's not the Al Cooper from uh, the piano player in Dylan's band. It sure is. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize he had a hand in, in uh, promoting Southern Rock. Al Cooper may be the architect of Southern Rock, because the term Southern Rock didn't even exist then. And uh, he uh, had a label he called Sounds of the South, and his logo was a log cabin. And he already had the Southern Rock uh, mystique in his mind before he signed Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner didn't even know they were Southern Rock band. They didn't use the term Southern Rock to apply to their music. But Al Cooper recognized that they could be a Southern rock band, and he put them in that category and helped them get really huge using that marketing strategy. Southern rock, that's being in the South, it's, and having a, being a rock band and having long hair, uh, you get a lot of these impressions that the South is, you know, Dixieland and, and the Confederate flag. Were, were they referred to as long hairs? Oh, yeah. It was a big contradiction being, you know, between long hairs and rednecks, and they hated each other in those days. But somehow Ronnie Van Zandt and Dickie Betts managed to reconcile those two positions. They were redneck hippies. They were both. They were long hairs, and they used drugs recreationally, and they were also rednecks who would kick your ass if you gave them any grief. So uh, the redneck hippie was a brand-new creation, and I'm not sure who really invented it, whether it was Dickie Betts or Ronnie Van Zandt or Charlie Daniels, but it was one of those three, and it was an amazing uh, reconciliation because I didn't think the twain would ever meet. Did it? Did recently with the uh, the uprising and controversy with the Confederate flag? What's what's the attitude of Southern Rock with the uh, with the Confederate flag? Oh, that's a sore point. That is a very sore point uh, because you know some people, especially you know African Americans, some African American leaders see the rebel flag as, you know, the equivalent of a swastika. I mean, and I can understand that point of view, but I don't think any of these guys ever meant that when they used it. Uh, Graham Parsons used the rebel flag on his tour in 1973, and I'm sure he didn't mean that. Tom Petty used it for a while, and he said it was a downright stupid thing to do. So these boys were just, you know, maybe incredibly naive about using it, or perhaps trying to be provocative to get press. But Leonard 
Skinner did finally retire the flag about 2016, and they don't use it anymore. They're, they've disassociated themselves from it. But, yeah, it's a, that flag is kryptonite. Are there any African-American musicians you could think of that are active in uh, Southern Rock? There are very many. You could count them on the fingers of two hands. There's J-Mo from the Allman Brothers, one of the two drummers, and uh, they had a bass player uh, from Mississippi who was a black man, and then well, Willie had one or two, a couple, and uh, it's, they're very, it's, Blackfoot had a couple for a while, and they're very difficult to find, but there's a few there. I'm speaking with Michael Ray Fitzgerald. His new book is called Jacksville and the Roots of Southern Rock, and Michael's going to be at Miami Book Fair International. His interview will be uh, on November 22nd. You could listen to it by registering at Miami Book Fair online. Leonard Skinner, when I, I think of two songs when I think of uh, ultimate encore songs, and one is, uh, I guess, Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. The other one is Freebird from Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Do you remember hearing that early, early on? Um, no, I didn't hear it until they did like a third version with Al Cooper in Atlanta that came out on their first album. But they recorded it here in Jacksonville. Uh, a friend of mine, Tom Markham, had a record label, and he signed them. He and his partner, Jim Sutton, signed them to Shade Tree Records in 1969. And they cut that in 1969 or 70, and it, um, they played it uh, on the local television. And the original version uh, is a shorter version, and it doesn't have that double-time, you know, uh, out-chorus out chorus thing, you know, where it gets all, you know, uh, bombastic. And uh, so that song's... And then it was recorded again in Muscle Shoals, 71, 72, and then it was recorded a third time in Atlanta, and, and the third time was The Charm. But it's been around for a very long time. It was one of their first recordings. I think of it also as one of the original jam songs, jam band. Was, was, did Southern Rock, did they more or less originate jamming? I would, you know, I would say that uh, the Allman Brothers band brought a lot of that in because they, were, they spent some time in California when they were, excuse me, Dwayne and Greg had a previous band called Hourglass that spent a lot of time in California. They were based out of Los Angeles. They played San Francisco quite a bit. I think they played some shows with the Grateful Dead, so there might have been some Grateful Dead influence there. But also they listened to a lot of jazz. J-Mo turned them on to, you know, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, and so it had a, a great jazz sensibility to it. And a lot of the jam... Um, uh, ethos comes from um, those jazz artists that J-Mo turned them on to. It sounds, and from the Grateful Dead. It sounds like a real magical time when, when all these bands started coalesce and, and become popular. Uh, were you a musician then as well, or did you uh, give that up? Uh, yeah, I was then, but I, I gave it up a few years ago because it just got to be too much work setting up all the gear and plugging it and unplugging it. You must have wanted to be as popular as those other bands. Did did you ever give up on that dream? No, I stayed with it for a long time, but just, you know, it just got to be too much work. But if I could have afforded a roadie to set my gear up, <laughs> I'd probably still be doing it. 
Leonard Skinner is, uh, they had a tragic, uh, I mean, there was a lot of tragedy. When I think of uh, Dwayne Allman dying right at the peak of uh, his career and, and Leonard Skinner, uh, the tragic plane crash that kind of ended that band's run. Uh, yeah. But both bands continued on. Greg Allman is, uh, he, he did he recently pass, didn't he? A couple of years ago, uh-huh. Leonard Skinner is still performing. Well, yeah, um, this is their they this was their farewell tour. They were in the midst of when the COVID um, mm-hmm. lockdown hit. Um, it's kind of up in the air whether they're going to carry on or not. From what I hear, they may finish the tour, and that'd probably be it for them. Then again, they've been talking about doing a residency in Las Vegas. <laughs> The Almond Brothers had such great hits too: "Ramblin' Mad," "Midnight Rider," "Melissa." Do do they have any carna- uh, incarnation now? You know, there is actually a group of uh, former Almond Brothers members, Almond Brothers band members. I think Derek Trucks is involved. Jamo, the one of the originals, is involved, and. Um, Warren Haynes, I believe, is involved, and I think they've been doing some touring. Uh, I'm not positive about this, but as I recall, they've been doing some touring under another name. Maybe it's the Brothers. Your book, Jacksonville and the Roots of Southern Rock, does it, uh, from what time period does it address? Well, it would be starting in 68 when uh, the, the Second Coming came to town from Tampa and took over, <laughs> became the biggest band in Jacksonville. And it would probably wind down um, in the 80s uh, after Molly Hatchet had had some hits. It, it, well, actually, it goes all the way to the, to the present because Derek Trucks is still active. And I don't know if you could call him a Southern rocker or not. He was involved in the... Almond, he was in the Almond Brothers band for a long time, so that officially makes him a Southern rocker. And he plays slide guitar, but his current band is, you know, the Tedeschi Trucks band that he shares with his wife, Susan Tedeschi, is doing really well and, you know, making records and touring. I'm, I'm sure they're not touring at the moment, and uh, but they're they're active and doing well. And I, but I don't know if you call it a Southern rock band. It's more like a straight up R and B slash blues band. But there were other R&B slash blues band that people thought were Southern rock, like Wet Willie. So I would call him a Southern rock band myself, but it's a very loose term anyway. Jacksonville and the Roots of Southern Rock is the new book from Michael Ray Fitzgerald. And Michael's interview at Miami Book Fair Online is going to be dropped on November 22nd. And Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talking to us. And I'm going to play a, a bluegrass version now of Free Bird. And, you know, when I think of Free Bird, too, before I play it, the the original, and I guess a lot of Southern rock, they had two lead guitarists in their bands. Is, was, is that like a signature Southern rock? Yeah, I would say so. You know, it really has been done for a long time. Uh, uh, I think Western Swing had, you know, two leads. And but so it wasn't a totally new idea, but I, I'm pretty sure the Almond Brothers came up with that one, and then, you know, Skinner, carried on with it, and Molly Hatchet and the rest. So, but yeah, I would give the Almond Brothers band credit for that. 
And that would be uh, with Dwayne Allman and Dickie Betts. Were those the two guitarists? Exactly. You got it. Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talking to us. Thank you, Michael. I really enjoyed it.